You know how you and I are committed to bringing the best podcast experience to our oh, listeners. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. no one has any right to complain about anything we've ever said or done. And the quality, I think, speaks for itself. So, Absolutely. So I, I wanted to start by um, revealing my intention for a gift for you. Okay. Um, however, I wasn't able to do it. It was going to be a surprise for this episode. But um, instead, I'll explain it to you. And you can imagine it to your right. head, in your in head. In my mind's eye. Um, I was, yes. I was going to get a personal message dedicated to you. From one Peter Weller on Cameo. Yes, nice. I was going to ask if you knew. That was my next question: Is do you know what Cameo of course, is? Correct. Um, do we know what Cameo is? Come on. Yeah, and I, I guess I can't fool you. No, I'm not friends with personal friends with Peter Weller, who can have who has the kind of sway to get him to take time out of his day. Uh, just wish you congratulations. But I was going to get a Cameo from him because I felt um, he's he's played a, a big part in the show, not only being. Uh, obviously, the star of one of our favorite movies, RoboCop, mm-hmm. but also another movie that we looked at, Naked Lunch. Yes, it's um, true. There's, it's just Peter Weller yeah. all the way down. Um, now, yeah. unfortunately, though, I do have to ask, because this is a big point of contention nowadays that always goes into the calculus of talking about Cameo, unfortunately, is, as mm-hmm. gauche as it may be, how much is Peter Weller charging for his cameos? Because that is, that is an important calculus that people have to, to discuss. Yes, that's the thing. So um, you can sign up for Cameo if you want. Anybody can. Yes. Like you and I could if, if anybody was sad or desperate <laughs> enough to, to want a Cameo from us. But you can, and you set your own price. Um, now, Peter Weller probably doesn't need Cameos. Like, um, Granted, he's probably not working all that much other than like small roles. He's obviously not a big star the way he was mm-hmm. in the RoboCop and Naked Lunch days. Um, however, he could still pull in that, that dosh. So he was charging... 300 big ones wow. for a video message. I was going to yeah. guess 200, but 300, I mean, I think he's he's worth it, honestly. Like, you know, he's he's setting his value out there. You know, he's like, look, 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 I'm not your, you know, bumbling reality star. I am a, I am a trained thespian, good sir. So, um, yes. The other reason why uh, Cameo, I think, has, has, has become kind of a boon, a godsend, is because a lot of actors are out of work thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. So <laughs> I think a lot of them uh, jumped on uh, to be like, all but- right, this is some good passive income absolutely yeah it's passive income you can do it in your free time and that led me on a path to start looking for alternatives mm-hmm. even though if they have nothing to do with the show but you may have a personal affection for them um one was the janitor from scrubs mm-hmm. a show that i know you love uh, that um, would be one oh what was it oh shoot now i'm blanking on his name what is that actor's name neil flynn I can't remember. It just he was in Fugitive. He was in the Fugitive. Come on, man. Oh, that's right. You're right. He's the cop that gets shot. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, I've got Kimball or whatever, and then he gets owned. Mm-hmm. But um, you're right. We could have done him on the Fugitive, another one of our beloved films. Um, the Soup Nazi is another big one. Um, he's he's very, one of very the most prolific <laughs> of yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, when you get, when you got gold like that, I mean, you have to come on. you got to show it off, right? <laughs> I, um, and then I was also, uh, in terms of the cheapest, I did find um, Vic Maria or Morena. Do you know who that is? That or? sounds vaguely familiar. As soon as you say it, I'm going to know. 
Yeah, a very prolific anime actor. Oh, he was a voice of yes, Edward Elric, um, and many others. Yes, in the very popular, uh, yeah, but the very popular was, Full Metal Alchemist. But I'm glad you didn't because he was canceled, Greg. Uh, you know, oh, canceled. He was like me three yes. a couple years yes. ago. So he's only charging. He's only charging ten dollars for cameo. Oh no! But, oh uh, no! Oh dear! Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's not feel too bad, but still, yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that one felt a little problematic. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What about uh, Stephen Blum? Is Stephen Blum on there? He would be a good choice. Speaking of, like, I, I didn't anime. see him. I did see. I, no, I did see Kevin Conroy, though, famously oh, the voice of Batman for all those. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But again, nothing to do with our show. Which, hello, I mean, congratulations, John. Two hundred episodes in five we did years. It, folks. We did it. Can you we believe it? it? And yep. I mean, I think this makes it officially the longest-running podcast that's ever existed. I mean, we gotta be up there, right? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I feel like, if, even if it's not, we do quality over quantity. Um, I did get a chance to listen to a little snippet of Joe Rogan's podcast. <laughs> Why? And, and, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, he was interviewing a famous director, and I, I wanted to learn more. But <laughs> wouldn't you know it, the, the insight that he had with this famous director is like, wow, nobody makes a film like you do. And I was like, wow, this is mind-blowing stuff. <laughs> that is kind of Joe Rogan's whole thing. It's just you go on there for him to butter your bread, <laughs> you know, for him to just go like, oh, some- yeah, cool, man. You're really smart. <laughs> yes. It's, it's far better to do PR. You and I know <laughs> PR is where it's at. So that's where we get the big Spotify money. Um, however, we don't do that. Uh, we uh, look at classic films and, and, and again, try to uh, build build up our cinematic bona fides. And, uh, yeah, for our 200th one, we, we saved a, a big one because you and I have been talking about watching this film for Absolutely. decades yes. now. <laughs> um, this is the movie that uh, famously won Academy uh, the Best Picture for the year for which we were born. So we are finally catching up with the Best Picture winner of the year, nineteen eighty, the year of our Lord, 1987. We are finally catching up on The Last Emperor. Now, not as I assumed. Um, when I when I thought this was the last emperor of the of the of the Qing dynasty, I thought this movie was set in like the 17th century. Lo and behold, um, the opening shots are like of a uh, Soviet prison or something. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is a, a 
biopic about a, a literally the last emperor of China before um, kind of the, these dynastic families finally ended, and um, it became a more republican or a republican or democratic kind of society. More it, democratic and massive air quotes. <laughs> I, I know. Let's let's call it a modern society. How about um, yes? Whether, whether it's actually a, a free and open one, I mean, who knows? It's all it's all a black box over there. But um, this was literally this is a biopic of the literally the last emperor of China, um, a man by the name of Pu Yi. Um, Anglicanized, took on an English name Henry, Henry Puyi, and kind of his, his very colorful life, um, ascending to the throne at, as only a toddler, and then um, basically of what, growing up inside the, the this luxury inside the Forbidden City, um, unable to set foot outside its walls, and, and his only connection to the world being uh, like one Englishman and a few texts and things like that, and um, mm-hmm. Yeah, basically living this this history of, and all this change in China between revolutions and Japanese occupation and all that stuff. Um, which again, again, I had no idea. So, but thankfully, I have Wikipedia here. So now I'm I'm an expert in, in Mr. Puyi. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I am familiar with it because um, I caught the uh, third season of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Which you know ah. takes place in the Earth Nation, and the Earth Nation, for all those who don't know, is very coded uh, Chinese. You know, the the Fire Nation is very much Japanese, with their uh, focus on industry and um, imperialism. Obviously, <laughs> um, <laughs> the um, the Earth Nation, um, their capital city is called Bossing Say. Even if anyone's familiar with Avatar: The Last Airbender, um, it is a massive walled city, and they are kind of you know not too concerned about the encroaching forces of the Fire Nation because it is walled off, and they are you know allowed to insular themselves. And you know the Avatar gets to meet the Emperor of Bossing Say, who is uh, this kind of like aloof, um, guarded uh, person who's kind of like you know very naive because again all these like bureaucrats who are vying for power have been able to keep him in the dark about how dire okay. the situation is so right. this is all kind so, of bringing close, kind of familiar to me a little bit oh okay. you know with the overall kind of arc of the history of china i see so avatar the last Airbender vendor is really like an educational show it's oh, like absolutely. arthur and like, yeah, yeah absolutely it, it belongs yeah. on pbs frankly like, if, well yeah it belongs it's like the jim lehrer news hour i mean you're learning a lot <laughs> Yes, um, I think it's also important to talk about like what was expected of movies back in the eighties. I mean, we we talk a lot about like Oscar baby movies. This mm-hmm. movie definitely also kind of fits that mold quite well. It is a massive yeah. epic. It is almost three hours long, and it's hard not to look at this movie without it feeling like it's chasing a certain Richard Attenborough produced movie, <laughs> also known as Gandhi. <laughs> Am I correct? Am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, I. Again, you and I are pretty cynical, like pretty savvy moviegoers after what two hundred plus movies that we've watched, and yeah, that that was kind of like niggling in the back of my mind. You're right, Gandhi is probably a big influence. Well, first, I should probably say this is this is going to be regarded as a triumph, not because it won Best Picture, but because it's it's an independent production, kind of foisted by one guy, an Englishman named Jeremy Thomas, and he's the one who somehow raised the funds for this massive epic, as well as got permission to actually film inside the Forbidden City, which is obviously now a, a tourist attraction, but, like, you know, how would, how would, Ch- the question was, how would China open up to the West, and would they, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, would they capitulate to a, a, an East, a Western production coming in here, and stuff like that, and, and ultimately they did, and, you know, Jeremy uh, Thomas was rewarded for it, um, but you're right, this is definitely chasing 
kind of like Oscar trends of the time. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Gandhi, three-hour biopic of um, <laughs> of an international culture, but an all-English film. Yep. Um, this time, they had the good taste to actually cast Chinese actors <laughs> as Puyi, different ages. So that's, now, hold on. Ben I'm, Kingsley is half Indian. Okay, so let's not... Let's I, did, not I did not know that. Wow. Yes, okay. believe it or not. That is something people often forget, okay. but Ben Kingsley right. is actually half Indian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so is he genuinely half Indian or like Elizabeth Warren Indian kind? Uh, let's not... Let's, I don't want to look... I, I don't want to look any further i just want to assume the best and and you know uh, uh all hail our king our manchurian ben kingsley Trevor slattery thank you yeah. <laughs> thank you for your service good yeah. sir now we will go to school her majesty in my country it would be usual to begin with some kind of an examination the emperor cannot be examined well that may have to change but first, Your Majesty might like to ask me some questions. Where are your ancestors buried? In Scotland, Your Majesty. But then, where's your skirt? In your country, men wear short skirts, do they not? No, Your Majesty. Scotsmen do not wear skirts. They wear kilts. Kilts? Kilts. A matter of words, perhaps, but words are important. Why are words important? If you cannot say what you mean, Your Majesty, you will never mean what you say, and a gentleman should always mean what he says. Ah, yes, a gentleman. Are you a gentleman? I would like to be a gentleman, Your Majesty. In any event, uh, yeah, so it's definitely chasing that. I was also going to go with um, Amadeus, because this mm. is a a framework story in which um, th- we see this uh, immaculate figure kind of like all the way from childhood to the present, and we're alternating between two timelines, them growing up and facing these complex, as well as them forced into a situation where they have to confess and atone for their situation and literally open by committing suicide. And in Amadeus, like famously, it opens with Salieri trying to cut his own throat. Here, um, he's being sent to a, a um, Red Army prison and he tries to slit his wrists in the, in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then again has to go to the box and, and confess like any crimes or, or sympathies he's had over the years. Yeah. And of course, it's also, you know, we're also following the great Dewey Cox trend. It's like, hold on a second. Dewey Cox needs to think about his whole life before he gets up on stage. <laughs> so we get that, you know, perfect framing device. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, and honestly, um, it took a while for me to kind of get invested because we literally are following him throughout his whole life. And he's played mm-hmm. in the, and he's played by many different actors and the first couple obviously being very young uh very green yep. and at first i wasn't kind of gelling with the movie because the caliber of acting required that <laughs> these kids just sadly and it's also like again like he's he's literally you know raised up to be the emperor at age three and mm-hmm. we kind of follow him as he kind of grows into a toddler and then kind of a, a, a you know young adult and the idea is that we kind of follow him through these phases and in these early phases, he's just kind of a brat. He's just kind of an <laughs> asshole who's like, I'm the emperor. I'm allowed to do whatever the hell I want. Screw you guys. <laughs> Even though that's obviously clearly, you know, it's a gilded cage that he's living in. Uh, well, yeah. Th- come on, John. Give, give give the kids a break. All right. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, for most of the movie, I guess the latter half of this like two hour plus movie, he's played by John Lone, mm-hmm. um, as an adult. And yes, he's at this point, he's much more like stentorian, like learned in English. He's an Anglophile. So he wants to have the, the dignity of a, a mentor played mm-hmm. by Peter O'Toole. Um, and, and yeah, like now he's an established character, but I, I found actually more interesting when he is a child and he doesn't know exactly his way mm-hmm. in the world. Like I found it interesting when... Again, he ascends the throne, and he's told by the empress at this point, like, you know, I'm I'm literally, like, inches from death here. Like, you're going to have to take this on. And the kid has just no idea what's going on. And, like, bath time and the silly ritual of, like, them looking at his his, his uh, stool and making sure, like, oh, yes, he's healthy. Um, that I found most interesting. And then I, I found that the most fascinating portrayal of him was by Wu Tao at 15 years old. That's when he meets uh, the mentor played by Peter O'Toole. He's an Englishman named Reg- Reginald Johnson. And um, that I found most interesting because it's it's it, at the moment when the emperor has the most agency, and he and he kind of wants he's he's got these hints of the outside world, and he really wants more and wants to step outside of it. And yes, the stakes are lower. It's about like him getting a bike or mm. learning to ride a bike, <laughs> and um, yes, still unable to like uh, get outside the fortress and not really you know know what's going the revolution that's like happening on the outside, what the Republican government that's going to ascend. But um, like still, like the, I can I can sense a character has motivation, and I feel like I, I lost that once he becomes an adult, like because then it's like, oh look at all the things that are now happening. Yeah, to him. I mean that's like, true. <laughs> um, you know he kind of goes through phases because again he's mostly like a brat um, for the first bit, and then when yes mm-hmm. uh, the actor does when John Lone kind of enters, that's when he kind of starts going through these phases, these kind of shifts where once we first meet John Lowe, he's like, oh I actually want to like get outside the city. Why can't I you know drive in an automobile? You know because at this point, you know, it's rapidly industrializing. Um, And then, because there's always that kind of, like, push and pull where he's the figurehead, he's the one in charge, but also he's surrounded by all these bureaucrats who are obviously invested in keeping their own kind of, you know, place in the government, their own, like, ruling um, Mm -hmm. class, you know, kind of stabilized. And so it's like, he tries to, like, you know, push his own agenda, even though he really can't, because, again, these people are more kind of in charge, and he's more of a kind of pawn being used by these larger forces. So, um... You're right. He definitely does have like kind of more agency in the latter half, but also it's like it also kind of it's like it's at least understandable when he first kind of like comes of age and says like I want to get outside the city, and then we unfortunately kind of watch him you know descend when he actually becomes the emperor quote unquote of Manchuria, and you know he realizes he has yeah. no real authority, <laughs> and you know he he's taken on like two wives, he becomes like a playboy and things like that, and he gets a little bit harder to root for. <laughs>
to root for? I guess we should say, the, again, based on the Wikipedia article I read, so again, I'm an expert, um, this is kind of a, a whitewashing mm-hmm. of Puyi. Like, you, you can have, like, a, again, a very colorful life, a lot of different, like, at, at the point of history, a lot of events in, in China, and, and especially their relations with Japan. Um, still, though, my overall impression, mm-hmm. not a great guy. Um, for one, literal slaveholder, like our founding fathers, yep. also not great guys. <laughs> um, uh, it's, again, a bit of a playboy, um, kind of ruined his marriage, um, capitulated to Japan, uh, which resulted in the rape of mm, Nanking. Okay, like, yeah, not like, great, but it was perfect. Yeah. Who, who, yes. who among us is perfect? Come on, guys. <laughs> exactly. He's so yes. conflicted. <laughs> He's have... so like, oh, what do I do to, you know, make sure that I'm still treated like, you know, a god sent, you know, from the heavens or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I felt like again. I want to go to this point of like mm-hmm. agency. Like I feel like after the scene in which he's he's literally playing tennis. Like now he's in like a, a white sweater and like rackets and yeah. That's that that stuff is great when we see the contrast between this like old the, this old Chinese with all the all the baubles and like you know wonderful ceremony they have like uh, and and costumes and all that stuff's incredible. But and when you contrast it to like you know the 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 old jalopies and model A's that are like kind of rolling outside uh, the stuff. That's great. But it's when that he gets kicked out of the, the, uh, yeah, again, it's not under his own accord. He gets kicked out literally of the forbidden fortress or excuse me, the forbidden city. Um, and then it, and then it becomes kind of the, the this, uh, roaring twenties that like, yeah, I never felt like he had any agency anymore. And, um, yeah, I didn't like understand his impact. Like, uh, the, his wife, um, it becomes an opium addict, sort of out of like nowhere. Like, I, yeah, that that did kind of feel like it came out of nowhere. Uh, they also introduced this like <laughs> this femme fatale, like spy from China. She's she's a Japanese nat or she's a Chinese national, but she becomes a spy for yeah. Japan, and she's like you know coded mm-hmm. very lesbian. She's like hitting on the wife, and she's like kind of a she's kind of a weird character to kind of introduce halfway through because she's like clearly nefarious. And, I, yeah, based on based. Yeah, based on a real person, I will say, but like, yeah, I, again, it kind of like comes out of nowhere, and, and only for like, <laughs> I guess scholars of Japanese or scholars of Chinese study would know who she is, and like, yeah, like, uh, yeah, she arrives in like a pilot in a leather like <laughs> yeah. pirate's uniform, like pilot's uniform. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's um, well, I guess that kind of gets to the the crux of the movie, which is kind of what makes it hard to discuss. Which is, is this meant to be a history lesson? Um, and mm-hmm. if so, like, is it good at portraying this because it is coming from a very Western perspective? The issue I was having watching the movie was this feels like they're kind of, this feels like Orientalism. This feels like the East put on display mm-hmm. as exoticism. You know, ooh, look at all their, look at all their, you know, uh, their their tapestries and ooh, their costumes. Like, ooh, look at these kooky people. And um <laughs> One of the things that it's it's hard to kind of gauge is what like what is the, the ambiguity that the film is playing in where it's like oh how wistful the emperor you know he lost his he lost his great power he lost his and isn't it sad that we lost all these years of tradition and and China fell into this communist reign but it's also like playing with that ambiguity where mm-hmm. it's like no look at how silly this system is they literally put a three year old in charge of everything <laughs> this is silly <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's like we talked about um Harry Carey a few weeks ago and it's like it's very much like the same thing where it's like oh these are lauded traditions this is the way things have always done 
done and this is the order at which we need to preserve but at the same time it's like no these things are ridiculous times need to change you know this is this is absurd what we're doing and so where does the movie really like fall on that it's kind of like playing in that space a little bit but because it is coming from a western perspective not an eastern perspective i feel like it's not you know 100 percent authentic I'm, I'm putting my fingers up in the spicy italian meatballs <laughs> sense because you know it is an italian director so you know yeah that's that's kind of the weird like mishmash we have here it's an italian director who i think wants to like be rebellious in the way artists do and say something new about like all this like kind of institution like you know obviously what what legitimacy does this institution have if a two-year-old mm-hmm. can like you know <laughs> be suddenly put in charge of it and and yeah what's what's immediately obvious is that yeah he literally has no power and um and i guess that's that's kind of what the movie's playing with but i still think it it like wants to uplift him it, it, I guess, like, if it's following, if it is just following, like, movie trends, it yes. wants to uplift him in the same way it uplifts Gandhi and wants to, A, show him as somebody who, like, wants to preserve <laughs> wants to preserve his power, but also do it in exactly. a reformist way. <laughs> like, somebody, somebody who, like, split the middle, ah, the centrist yes. position, because it's also, that's also an agreeable position. And, and this is a movie, like, decide, like, bound <laughs> to, uh, a, like kind of form consensus and agreement because it won best picture like you know obviously you know as we point out like it's not like of course sometimes bad movies win best picture but it's also the one that everybody can agree on right and yeah it's trying to it's trying to really toe this line of be like being agreeable in terms of like how it views china like you know oh isn't like a, a, an imperialist royal system silly but also isn't like you know can't, can't the yeah, guys exactly. have fun like, can't like the guys, especially you know? <laughs> in like again like we're framing this when he's a prisoner and we're framing this kind of like when mm-hmm. he is in the twilight of his years you know living as a normal man you know away from all the pomp and circumstance just like literally a nobody and you know it's like like obviously mm-hmm. the way it's shot it's like we're supposed to feel bad for him this guy used to be emperor of china and now he's literally a nobody he's a gardener he's like poor and sad <laughs> Oh, that those are some of my favorite bits of the movie. Um, once he does finally like serve out a ten-year prison term under the watch of the Red Army, um, he does he does become a commoner, and I thought like, oh, that's very like pleasant somehow that like comes together. But then where the movie's really winding up is um, <laughs> like, wouldn't you know it? He's like walking home, and then uh, Mao's Cultural yep. Revolution comes <laughs> uh, marching into town, and I'm like, geez, this guy cannot catch a break. <laughs>
the purpose of that scene is to see that the person who used to be the warden of his prison is now yeah. a you know a, a yeah, enemy of the state, or at least labeled mm-hmm. in such. And again, I think that's also meant to play up the absurdity of you know the cultural revolution. It's like no, they were on your side. Well, not for long. You know, you always got to be currying favor and things like that. I, the, the movie's kind of. It's pro-modernism, but obviously anti-communist. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's weird. It's weird. It's a, yeah. Let's call it a neoliberal movie. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> no things are wrong, but it's not our system or capitalism. That, you know, no, no, no. Change. Actually, yeah. yeah. If only, yeah. <laughs> it's like obviously it's a good thing that you know China was brought into the 21st century, but Mao did it wrong. Damn it, we needed to. Yeah. <laughs> if only the Chinese hadn't got their gotten their way. Goodness gracious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I. I guess it's it's kind of playing with that tone, and and you're right. I I, I also didn't like its its moments when it dabbled in, um, I guess I'll call it spiritualism or magical realism. Um, it it only really happens at the first and very last scene. Um, in the very first scene, he's he's again brought to the empress, who literally like sets him up to like sets his expectations, like hey, you're going to be a ruler, even though he's only two years old and doesn't understand what's going on. And then she like literally dies on the spot, and they yeah. do this like odd ritual with like putting a, a marble in her mouth and like a few yeah. other things, and 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 yeah, it felt like dabbling in this like Orientalism or like oh, isn't this weird? And then um, the biggest portion of that, or I think the 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 most glaring evidence of that is the fact that they're trying to heal her with this turtle-based soup. So you see this turtle basting in soup, yeah. and it's like oh, look at these, you know, it's like again like out of straight out of Indiana Jones when they're eating the monkey brains. It's like look at how weird these people are, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and then it kind of comes back at the very end because, um, yeah, he he goes to the Forbidden City. Like, now it's a tourist attraction. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, now they're just letting, like, anybody... uh, There's obviously no... emperor anymore so and no royal family so they just like let anybody wander in um he's in there alone and there's a like a child guard looking after him i thought that was a little unusual he looks like a child guard (laughs) (laughs) gotta start him young greg china starts him young remember that (laughs) but maybe it could have just been a tourist but um yeah yeah he ascends to the throne and then uh he pulls out a, a cricket a cricket he found like during the during his like throning ceremony um that leads to the most like famous shot, the one that was immortalized in The Simpsons, um, <laughs> when he's kind of uh, when he is a is a toddler is kind of like waddling out uh, to this massive crowd of people in in the most like kind of epic reveal shot. Um, so, but um, yeah, he he pulls out. It pays off. Like he pulls out this cricket that must be yeah sixty years old at this point, mm-hmm. and the child looks at it with the same like uh, kind of curiosity as he did when he was an emperor, and then he looks up and now oh no, Pooey's gone. Like you know like. Gone. Yeah, like magic. much like that first scene. Yeah, like magic, like magical <laughs> realism or something. Like, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it, again, it kind of dabbles in that like kind of like jaundice view of like other cultures or something. Like, oh, there must be something weird and exotic going on yeah. here. Like, yeah, exactly. When yeah. when the rest of it is very straightforward. Like these are like you're showing a very human like relationship with, with power and his wife and concubine and stuff like that like it's all very that's and all very basis it's also yeah. this movie has a lot to say about uh women <laughs> i feel like the the relationships <laughs> he has with women are are very kind of bizarre um yeah um yeah but you're right like uh yeah for most of the movie it's very straightforward except for those last like bookended scenes where it's like this is the beginning of your life this is the end of your life and so and it's still like it tries to kind of like bring it back because then we have the actual tourist 
you know, person with a little flag being like, and this is where the emperor, you know, he died in blankety blank. So it's like, again, mm. bring us back to that kind of reality. You know, we had that little dash of mystical realism and then, you know, back to, you know, it's a tourist trap now. It's where people yeah. get to experience the culture, <laughs> which is kind of what this movie is. It's a little tourist trap, I guess. <laughs> Well, I'd say it's better than a tourist trap. Like, mm. uh, I guess we haven't talked what this movie's really famous for: costume design, production. Like, mm. you know, this actually the the mise en scène inside the Forbidden City. That all looks like wonderful. Like, yeah. that all looks incredible. Um, and even like again, I love that contrast between not just like how sumptuously uh, red and yellow tinted like the um, the the scenes in the past are, but also like once we're in the prison, now it's all blue and green and like kind of like more muted colors, like stuff like that is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obvious but great. <laughs> and um, th- and yeah, like like I found myself really absorbed in it, even though in the latter half, yeah, it feels like uh, he's just kind of he's just kind of like this victim of history, or like or like Forrest Gump is like, oh, look at him, like kind of like <laughs> weave his way through all these historic moments. <laughs> yeah. But Include- I mean, again, but that's the ambiguity it's playing with because it's like he—he's—he's he's the emperor. He should be the most powerful per- person in China, but he's not. You mm-hmm. know, he's still at yeah. the whim of all these, you know, other people. And when he tries to exert himself, he still can't really, you know, do anything. Um, yeah. Speaking of like beautiful imagery, the one that stuck out to me the most is when you know he's exiled from the Forbidden City. He, mm-hmm. you know, do through some politicking, you know, and the support of the Japanese government, he's declared emperor of Manchuria. And they literally like coronate him in the middle of the desert with a refinery in the background. Yeah. So you have this like, you know, this pageantry going on and there's just like literal, just like this dirt slab in the yeah. middle of nothing. Concrete and like yes. metal tubes or whatever. Mm-hmm. With this, I think it's still operating like the clone, clone like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And again, like showing like, again, like the kind of Ozymandias moments, like, yeah, you're the ruler of all this congratulations <laughs> all you survey this is yours congratulations this is the hall of supreme harmony where the emperors were crowned. The last emperor to be crowned here was Eisenhower Puyi. He was three years old. He died in 1967. I just wish that there could have been like a little bit more, like again, mm-hmm. like, I wish I knew like a little bit more of like what agency he had in, uh, th- th- like again like uh cooperating with the Japanese and leading to this like horrible yeah. atrocities. Um, same with like earlier scenes. Uh, he meets his brother at about like age eight. Like, mm-hmm. like well, first in prison and then like later we see their their relationship. And I I thought like that's really interesting. Like why isn't there more there? It's more like that just that like ten minute chunk of the movie. Um, yeah, when he's got to like. And again, what it ultimately means, like, he has to grow up a little bit. Like, he has to say goodbye to his wet nurse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stop breastfeeding at age eight. Yep. And, um, yeah. Um, one of the things that kind of bothered me and that was kind of left dangling was uh, Reginald Johnston, his, uh, yeah. you know, his English tutor. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot to be said about, you know, uh, the, the English empire and how they tried to get their fingers into everything. And so, like, Johnston is obviously a character who's meant to, like, you know, he's Peter O'Toole. 
you know, yeah. he's obviously like meant to be a soft, caring presence, and the idea is that you know he actually does have the emperor's best interests at heart. But also, he's a representative of the British Empire of the of yeah. the crown, <laughs> and so the idea is that you know he's like obviously his loyalties lie elsewhere, and so there is a moment where you know he's he's whisked back to England, and you know, he says like I'm going to get you uh, asylum. I'm going to make sure that you're safe, you know, mm. emperor. And then he never really does. And then, you know, once he does release his book, Twilight of, I forget what the book is called, but, you know, yeah, they're reading Twilight of the Emperor, yeah. Twilight, Twilight of the Empire, like, you know, they're reading it and he's like, that's not true. That's a lie. And, you know, it's like, like, so what, and again, since we never see him again, like, what are we supposed to make of it? Are we supposed to be judgmental of, like, the British Empire? Are we supposed to, like, feel good about what Johnston did? Johnston was, like, really trying for, like, really vying for the emperor. You don't know. Like, you know, there's a little bit of ambiguity there, but also I wish the film took more of a firm stance, an anti-imperialist stance, which obviously it doesn't have the courage to do. (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, not from an English producer. (laughs) Like, you know... (laughs) Looks at wait like that's a that's a bad thing like um yeah they they bring up the conflict that these uh these eunuchs and these servants in the forbidden steely and the forbidden steely uh forbidden steely <laughs> forbidden city are stealing from from the emperor and I'm like yeah that's that's Britain's job they need artifacts at the British Museum <laughs> exactly <laughs> that Victoria Albert Hall is not gonna fill itself come on yeah. <laughs> Well, John, that's a concert space. That's not oh, a museum. Yeah. Whatever. If you, if you had been to they, have, they have a Victorian Albert Museum. I thought it was the same thing. There's two. Okay, whatever. I, I don't know. And it, it, anyway, in any event, like, yes, it's, it doesn't, like, exactly come down I don't know, hard on the English Empire. Like, uh, he's, I think overall, the Reginald Johnson is seen as a good influence in spite mm-hmm. of that, like, kind of in prison, we see this, uh, I don't know, mild betrayal and that he's kind of, like, written, he's, he's basically telling Puyi his life um, in, in the Western world and, and obviously he doesn't believe in it. But yeah, there's never, like, a reconciliation and never, that conflict never comes to a head. Um, that's why I like the stuff early on where, like, I, like Puyi wants to learn from him and, um, but like Reginald Johnson being this this ambassador to China also has to like kind of be this like mitigating force and like oh make sure you respect tradition too like you know mm-hmm. I'll get you some things like the bicycle and stuff but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, um, yeah it's it's a it's an immaculately shot beautiful movie but uh, I think uh, intellectually I think it, it it leaves something to be desired because again like it's it still can't quite pull itself away from that orientalism and that kind of like western view like honestly the first time like watching it i was like i was kind of getting flashbacks of last year's mulan that you know remake <laughs> where i was like i feel like they shot this twice one in english and one in its proper chinese or mandarin yeah. however they should or you know maybe even cantonese i don't know they should have like shot it in its actual like native language and they didn't and so it, it feels you know off to me but you know well yeah there's that um yeah, I want to like God bless the actor who played uh, Puyi at like age fifteen. Like, um, he's he's obviously a native, like Chinese speaker and like speaks an accent. But there there was something like so authentic about it. And in real mm-hmm. life, like Reginald Johnson was fluent in Mandarin and, and communicated with Puyi in that language. But like, obviously Peter, you get a world class actor like Peter O'Toole. Like, it, it would make sense to like handicap <laughs> handicap him with like a, That's true, learning yeah. a whole new language. And yeah, Fair like, point. like Fair put point. like putting him in in, in a in a, in a <laughs> In, like, a Baltimore <laughs> accent or something. Look, Peter O'Toole would have risen to the occasion. Or he would have gotten wasted and plastered and just wouldn't have shown up to set that day. And that's yes. fine. Either, that's either his way, prerogative. entertaining. <laughs> exactly. Yes, either way, entertaining. And that they do this job. That's his job. Yes. Speaking of great actors, though, also we have to highlight one Victor Wong. 
of course. Famous, uh, <laughs> famous character actor. Um, mm-hmm. We all know him as Grandpa from the Three Ninjas movies. <laughs> of course. He's also in Big Trouble in Little China. And Tremors. Don't forget mm-hmm. Tremors. Yep. He's the one who yeah. dubs Wait. them. Graboids. Let's call them Graboids. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to correct myself here. That is Victor Wong, correct? Yes, or, that is Victor yes, Wong. Yes, he is in trouble. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he's not the actor who played Mr. Miyagi. I also thought that was that was him, too, but I, his name is escaping me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yes, like Victor Wong. And But yeah, you're right. Like it kind of... It sort of feels like a half measure, like maybe this, if this felt like an authentic, like, you know, Chinese production, like it would obviously be in Mandarin or something like, and, and also, yeah, just like my overall impression is it's agreeable. It's like, you know, I, I can't, I can't affirm if it's the best movie of 1987, because I obviously haven't seen every movie from 1987 and comparing movies is facile. Like, you know, (laughs) it's not a competition. It's not like this is the Super Bowl of movies. Like, that's ridiculous. But, um. Uh, but in its current form, it is like again agreeable, wonderfully shot. Like you know, I found myself absorbed by the production design and and the writing and and the performances. Like uh, up to a certain extent. Like again, could we have gotten into the the moral ambiguities of Puyi's reign? Could we have gotten into his more into his love life? Apparently, he had male lovers too, and mm-hmm. you know, really got around like stuff like that. So. Um, but again, like it doesn't get into all that. The Academy famously doesn't like gay movies. I mean, they'll they'll nominate <laughs> them, they'll give them golf clubs, but no, they won't win awards, baby. Come on, yeah. we need them golden statues. <laughs> exactly. So like, so, so like, yeah, it could have like, yes, the drama could cut deeper. Like, yes, mm-hmm. it could be more impactful. But like, as it is, it's very agreeable and like, yeah, just like a an interesting little history lesson in about two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> Even even shorter than that, like you get in prison, he sees you get a whole recap of a, <laughs> of a Japanese Chinese relations between about 1920 and 1950. That's so. true. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a little show reel. <laughs> yeah, overall, fine movie, fine. Yeah, it's what I expected of a Best Picture winner, which is you're right, agreeable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Again, I didn't want to be cynical and just yeah. say like, oh, I see bits of like that shot's literally from Sophie's Choice, or that cho- <laughs> yeah. that is from Amadeus, and that's from Out of Africa, and that's from yeah. But mm. it's it's sort of yeah, it's, it's sorry, folks, it sort of is like you know. <laughs> and again, hashtag problematic. Okay. <laughs> John, what's problem? What's problematic about Puyi? Okay, he just wants to be a gardener. All right, he just wants to go to the shops. Just wants to be a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, he just wants to hang out with with hundreds of his best eunuch friends. Okay. Yeah. If there's one thing to know about Puyi, he was a cool guy. All right. <laughs> Wife and a concubine, living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> Sucking them titties till he's eight. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? What man wouldn't envy him? Come on. I know. <laughs> well, Greg. Since we've already pretty much, you know, talked the listeners' ears off about this movie, I think it's time yeah. we uh, shift gears. Let's uh, roll it into second, shall we, with a little bit of a recommendation segment. What do you say? Absolutely. Um, I, I'm in Fast and Furious mode, though. <laughs> I'm oh, going no. into gear nine, all right? <laughs> You're hitting that Knox. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm in the Knox. Yes. <laughs> it's Knox, but whatever. What? Whatever, John. All right, it's fine. <laughs> I've never seen any of those movies, so I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But you know what? Maybe Nas uh, is what will fill the uh, neon bulbs, um, which would make a terrible spotlight. 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 Did you know that fortune cookies 
all even Chinese. There's some guy over here. They're made by Americans based on a, based on a Japanese recipe. Hey! A plus segue. That's why we're the best in the business, baby. Yeah. Hell yeah, 200 episodes. We earned it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, I, I'm catching up on a, on a contemporary movie. Uh, another Oscar winner, two-time Oscar winner for Best Adapted Screenplay and for Best Actor this last year. Of course, I'm talking about the uh, Anthony Hopkins starring The Father. Oh. Um, yeah. And and the thing that robbed I... Chadwick Boseman of his posthumous <laughs> literally said, "I feel yes." <laughs> the Boseman family said, "Oh, did you want this? Did you watch this? Too fucking bad." <laughs> yeah, I, I feel bad that that will forever be its movie's legacy because, as I said, it's completely facile. It's like, what performance is better, like Anthony Hopkins as this uh, as a man facing senility, or um, Chadwick Boseman as a as a jazz man, you know, putting up with this uh, like difficult singer? Like, what's it gonna be like? <laughs> You know, like, I don't, they're two different things. Like, you know, <laughs> give me a break. Like, why do we have to make it a competition? Hence why the Academy is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Hence why all awards are stupid. There you go. And just, yeah. <laughs> just accept our polite golf clap on this episode. <laughs> um, no, but the the father is incredible. I, I think it deserves a full throat of applause. It's a it's a very impactful film. As I said, it's it's um, about Anthony Hopkins playing a guy named Anthony, uh, who is um, now facing senility. Um, he's convinced he's in his own apartment, um, but basically, um, kind of time and reality is bending around him. Um, we open with Olivia Coleman like kind of coming in and, and you know. Sit breaking this terrible news like um you're gonna need a, we're gonna have to hire a new nurse for you because i'm moving to paris and um again like anthony hopkins character doesn't like take this well but like wouldn't you know it suddenly she's like married again and she's not moving to paris like what the what the heck so when i say like reality's bending around it's not like as if things are melting or, or spatially they don't make sense it's just like you know but like when he goes to bed he thinks he's having one conversation but he doesn't know who or what like is going on like mark gaddis like famously um sherlock's brother from uh, uh sherlock <laughs> yes Ch- yeah mycroft, I was gonna mycroft say, holmes yes mycroft thank you uh, i was gonna say benedict cumberbatch's brother but that's not that's not right um he, he he's like the other like supporting character other than Olivia Coleman, but he's like he's playing a character named Paul, but his appearance changes and like wait a minute you're I, you're not Paul like who are you? you're a complete stranger in my house um and then like yeah he he constantly repeats himself like stuff like um when he's convinced that his that his uh, daughter's moving to Paris he's like you know she she can't possibly do that they don't speak English there he says that about like six times in the movie mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's it. Uh, and when I say it's like there, there's senility. I mean, there's, there's still he still has his wits about him. Sometimes, like when they, when they do bring in a new nurse, he's able to like put on this performance, and and you can kind of tell this is based on a play because it is like a showcase for the actors to be like, yep. you know, like have to have to you know deliver devastating news in a very like kind of act actorly manner. Mm-hmm. And you know, when he's meeting this new nurse, he's he's again like suddenly enthusiastic and like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna change my tenor like to prove that I don't need uh, elder care. If you're sad, answer. <laughs> the phone happy <laughs> yeah <laughs> if if yeah it has to be good news when you approach the phone and then <laughs> if it's a sad scene it has to be like happy whatever yeah stuff like that yeah so you kind of get that but it's still like like just incredibly impactful as as is like the, the ment, uh his mental acuity deteriorates mm-hmm. and and yeah all these things happening in his life like the linearity of them and the consequence of them becomes quite clear so uh yeah um so that's all good. If if I had a a critique of the movie, it's that it um it, it kind of lacks in specificity. Like as I said, like characters are performing, but um like 
there's only one like indication of what he did as a job for one thing like he was an engineer but there's nothing about that we never learn about his his wife like uh olivia coleman's character's mother um there there's the uh tragic backstory in which um he had another daughter who like died in an accident but like again like none of the circumstances are clear there's no reference to like pop culture or something so it feels like it it feels like timeless but it also feels like out of place Mm -hmm. like you know this like there's something so like ambiguous about it you can imagine this being like a like a a black box theater or something yeah. like you know like that like <laughs> there are very few like props of like significance or stuff so like yeah it's like it's kind of missing like a certain amount of detail that could have made an impact however it brings it back for two final scenes that like obviously like for anybody who's seen who su- had friends family like suffer from alzheimer's like you know just like a knife straight in the heart like you know these two scenes one between him and olivia coleman and another one when um yeah he's kind of alone in his in his new uh hospital room spoiler alert like yeah he does need to be like consigned to care and um yeah again it's just gut-wrenching and and incredibly effective in like it's it's an emotional impact and and yeah like totally worthy of the accolades that it's received and and so like yes if you if you are in the mood for a good cry uh the father is it okay Um, good to know yeah (laughs) yeah but obviously i know that's not everybody's like you know wish list but uh no it's still like an incredibly quality film so uh, i'm more in the mood for a movie about turn of the century jazz performers what's what movie could you recommend for me (laughs) that one you know john it's interesting um there's a playwright who wrote about the black experience across the decades oh interesting interesting (laughs) yeah yeah wait now i think why didn't i put that together before both those performances the two like in the horse race of oscars like neck and neck they were both based on plays interesting well, I, I mean, why that's I didn't how put you, that together. That's how you get, you know, the accolades. You know, that's how you make like a, a strong screenplay. It's got to have a good base, you know, a good foundation. It's like it's got to be good mm. artsy material. So it's got to be. No, it has to be original. Oh. It has to be original stuff. Oh, yeah. excuse me. It has to be an inspired vision, something nobody's ever seen before. Mm. And I'm going to do it, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> this time. <laughs> got it. Biopic of uh, yes. Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Jimmy <Yeah>. Buffett biopic. <laughs> No, it's going to be about a um, a young up and coming podcaster born in 1987. Um, <laughs> wouldn't you know it? He's got problems in his home life, and he's he's going to write them out there and put go. them in in his vision. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's gonna that's gonna that's original screenplay gold right there. <laughs> well, Greg, uh, from my spotlight, I have a, a negative and a, a positive. Okay, so I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna start it off with something very very bad, and then and then hopefully uh-huh. turn it around. So you know, it's got to be darkest before the dawn. I got yes. to ex- I, I can feel I can literally feel the magnetism between yes. these two choices right now. <laughs> I got to experience the 2021 Amazon Prime original Cinderella, starring Camille Cabello, and I don't know if I needed okay. to tell you. And, and and sorry, yeah. Who who is she? <laughs> she's a she's a pop singer. She did uh she did that my oh my song. Look, you, just look her up on Spotify. You'll at least have heard of, of at least like two of her songs. Okay, you know there's okay, a new yes. one every week. You just got to keep track. Okay, it's like the stocks. Okay, you you got that's the thing. I can't. You got to you know, get, follow you know the trends. You know. Well, that's the thing. I I felt like I like somehow like solved this incredible puzzle when I learned that uh, that dynamite song that's in like every commercial <laughs> was by BTS. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> So, the Amazon Prime original Cinderella is, I'm sure you might have heard this, garbage. And here's why. Um, It is trying to be literally everything. Um, It's trying to be um, 
Mamma Mia-esque because the music they use for it is all pop songs that you've heard for before. So it's, hey, it's everything you've okay. heard. It's trying to be Hamilton-esque because, you know, the town crier is like rapping his announcements and, you know, he's wearing... Uh, it's trying to be a girl boss narrative because... <laughs> um, this, because she don't need no man. This Cinderella don't need no man. She just needs an opportunity to sell her dresses. Okay, let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> since she has to participate in capitalism. That's the real freedom right yes, there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, it... it it, it makes no sense from a foundational standpoint because, again, like the narrative itself is trying to be like uh, feudalism. This will never work. That's why we need capitalism to like you know lift people's spirits and allow them to have <laughs> yeah. you know self agency. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Now they can pretend they're not slaves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the problem is the movie is like again trying to do that like Hamilton thing where it's like colorblind casting. So it's like mm-hmm. you know and nothing is. Everything is like anachronistic, not just the casting. Like they've got blacksmiths using angle grinders. They've got milkmaids carrying around plastic milk crates. It's like, what era is this supposed to take place in? And okay. you know, like they said, they told the costume designer, "Go buck wild, do whatever the fuck you want. That's fine, yeah. except your main character is supposed to be a dressmaker. Her dresses should at some point be like nice and stand out, but everyone looks like <laughs> everyone is dressed like a fucking old navy store blew up. So how is her?" <laughs> How are her clothes supposed to be like amazing to us as viewers when everyone's wearing like 90 million clashing patterns dancing around? <laughs> uh, hang on, hang on. Do not smirch the good name of Old Navy, okay? <laughs> Affordable fast fashion, all right? <laughs> Craig, fast fashion is bad, okay? It's bad for the I, environment, I, I bad know, for the people. For the environment, I know. Yeah. I guess what? I also drive a car, okay? What do you want me to do? <laughs> Um, the music is terrible, uh, mostly because, um, <laughs> you know, again, for all the colorblind casting, a lot of the cast is still white. You've got Pierce Brosnan as the king, because, you know, you need that Mamma Mia joke where he's yeah, like, oh, yeah, look, yeah. he can't sing. Don't sing, Pierce Brosnan. We can't stand it. But you just got Anita Menzel, who, you know, performs quite admirably. But the problem is all the songs that they give the performers were designed by or were written and performed by people of color, of black people. And then you have all white people performing them, and it just sounds terrible. <laughs> and the song choices are obvious to just nearly just don't make sense. Like when the prince is introduced, you know, the chorus sings, what a man, what a man, what a mighty, mighty good man. But the king, you know, he only has eyes for Cinderella. So they mash it up with Seven Nation Army. Why do movies keep trying to insist that Seven Nation Army is a pop song? I don't understand it. I, yeah, I'm trying to picture that in my head. Well, now it's soccer anthem. That's what it really is. <laughs> yes. um, um, I just hope I just hope Jack White's in his bag or whatever. Yo, yeah, like, no, he's, he's fine. Yeah. He's fine. <laughs> All that okay. money's going to Third Man Records. He's 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 living All right, pretty. good. Yes. Um, All right. Yeah, it's just it's 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 atrocious. It's it's just it's, right. it's it's a complete mess. Don't waste your time. Also, James Corden is. Do I need to say more? No. <laughs> I, yeah, need need I say more? Yes. All right. <laughs> but all right, I don't believe I don't believe in deportation, <laughs> with one exception. <laughs> but having seen this now, I get to talk about yeah. one of the best adaptations of the Cinderella story. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking specifically about the Rodgers and Hammerstein adaptation, the 1997 made-for-TV movie Brandy starring version of Cinderella, which you can watch now on Disney ah, Plus if you want. Okay. I, I, I think we're, I think we're, it's about time. It's high time for the Brandy song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's back, baby, and bigger than ever. Um, I know. This one, John, John, this will shock you. We literally... My wife and I had a personal training session earlier, and and the subject of Brandy and Moesha came up. So this is apropos. This is kismet. This is kismet. Yeah. So um, Brandy plays Cinderella. Um, Mm -hmm. 
she does a fantastic job. This is all, you know, adapted from Rodgers and Hammerstein's music. So, you know, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, You've got so many great supporting roles. You've got Jason Alexander as the uh, King's headman. You've got the King and Queen played by power couple Victor Garber and Whoopi Goldberg. Need I say more? (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Yes. They're bringing that great kind of like Broadway energy to it. It doesn't feel like cynical and calculated like, you know, the Camillo Cabrillo version does. Um, And then, of Mm -hmm. course, the shining star, the the one supernova that makes this you know better than any TV movie or many other movies, Whitney Houston, legendary talent as the wow. fairy godmother, just killing it. Yeah, I again, I I do recall watching this on like the Wild World of Disney <laughs> on like a Sunday night. So <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm getting pristine reveries on this one, Sean. Yeah, <laughs> is there are there any more qualities we need to extol? I mean, yeah, Whitney Houston is a fairy godmother. Mm-hmm. Like obviously Brandy, like transcendent talent as well. Um, um, I just, like, I appreciate it because it just feels, like, kind of way ahead of its time. Now that everyone's talking about, like, colorblind casting, it's like, they should really cast yeah. anybody. It's like, they had, you know, a black and white king and then a uh, South Pacific Asian, uh, per- like, prince. And no one fucking bats an eye. No one says, like, oh, <laughs> oh, well, Hollywood. Whereas, like, you know, look at the 2021 version, like, bending over backwards, sweaty. It's like, look how progressive yeah. we are. <laughs> look at how great we're doing it. <laughs> She's a girl yeah. boss. <laughs> That was the magic of the go to go 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 nineties, John. Yep. I mean, yeah, but I think it's really the Rodgers and Hammerstein music because I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a Broadway uh, appreciator, and even though the mm-hmm. music that they originally wrote for the Cinderella adaptation was for a TV special, like back in the fifties, it was eventually adapted to Broadway, and I think that you know that good quality carries over, and the the well, TV movie has like a great kind of like Broadway energy to it, where it's just going for broke, and they're just like, what the hell, let's do it, hey, we're having fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of like. The Sound of Music, like, yeah, all their best stuff is from the 40s, 50s or whatever, and, like, has that kind of place. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how they uh, updated it for the 90s, but uh, I don't know. If you, if, you can, if you can attest to its quality, then, yeah, I, I have no reason to doubt you, mm-hmm. so. I still am, I find myself humming it to this day. Uh, the big okay, song right. I sing is uh, the the big song that the fairy godmother has is called Impossible, because, you know, Cinderella's mm-hmm. bemoaning, like, she can't make it to the ball. It's impossible. And then once the fairy godmother comes in and convinces her and shows off her magic, it refrains, it recapitulates to, it's possible for, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's magic, and, you know, it's great. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Wonderful. Okay. Check it out. Yeah. That, that does sound wonderful. I'm glad I'm glad we could, you could pull it back, John, <laughs> yes. already. <laughs> yes. We start negative, but we, we re-bring it back to positive. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to re, uh, to adapt Cinderella to a modern age. Oh, wait, we already did it. <laughs> it, it. You know what, John? I think it is possible. There you go. You got <laughs> it. I was going to think of an alternative, and I couldn't. No. <laughs> My brain is fried. Okay. <laughs> Well, Greg, my brain's pretty fried too, so I think we should probably call it a night. Probably wrap up this episode. Let's just go. No, John. What? John? John? No, we believe in progress. Okay. We believe in only getting better and only getting stronger. <sighs> the only way we're going to do that is by one final, final, never, never again. This is it. This is this is a, a prime time special, a la Jeopardy. Okay. <laughs> <This is> trivia <laughs> challenge. <laughs> so my trivia challenge. <laughs> yes. Um, for this trivia challenge, John, I was feeling a little bit wistful. We are celebrating 200 episodes. You and I have watched over 200 of the world's finest, most revered film mm-hmm. in the goodies. Wow. And so, <laughs> and so I, I thought that was worth celebrating. And wouldn't you know it, John, we're actually recording this to date this episode. We're recording this in the midst of Rosh Hashanah, a, t- a day of celebration. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's worthy of, of celebrating, right? Am I right? Um, sure, we're not Jewish, but okay. <laughs> 
Well, that's the thing, John. We aren't Jewish. We're obviously not celebrating Rosh Hashanah because we're recording on this day. And, um, you know, you and I are also not the ones to look back. You and I aren't nostalgic. You and I aren't navel-gazy. So, um, the, John, this trivia challenge isn't Rosh Hashanah. It's Yom Kippur. Oh. This, is a, this is a trivia challenge of atonement. <laughs> you and I are going to look at uh, look back on 200 episodes. <laughs> um, we're going to see everything we've done wrong on the show, every bad opinion we've had, and we're going to hold ourselves accountable. All right? This is a litany of our lowlights. Oh, okay? no. Are you ready? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. We're going to start a, a seven-day war over the Su- Suez Canal, aren't we? This is bad. <laughs> And I, that's that's where this could wind up, okay? Because we hit some problematic stuff, all right? Are you ready? All right, let's do it. Okay, question number one. In one edition of our signature segment, Spotlight, Greg once earnestly recommended a movie that has won the Razzie Award for Worst Movie of the Year. What is that movie? Obviously, I know you're a huge fan of the Razzies and have cataloged all the Oh, ones. absolutely. I mean, I know them as much as I know my Oscar winners. You know, they're like, you know, it's two sides of a coin, duality. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, Brave Little Toaster. I honestly can't remember. <laughs> honestly, I kind of zone out whenever you start doing Spotlight. <laughs> I, I know. That's why we got to retire that segment. But anyway, yes. it was 2019's Cats, That's the movie that right. I still defend. Yes. Okay. See, that one's a little hard because that one we were like, that was a recap episode where we were talking about all the movies we watched in, in uh, I believe we watched in a quarantine. So that one wasn't like a, a big official spotlight, yeah. but it's fine. Yeah. See, now it's all coming back to me. Now it's all, it's all in the dome somewhere. So Okay, exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. maybe this one will jog your, your memory. Question two. John described this Oscar winner for best, pictures, for best picture as one of the worst movies he has ever seen. What was it? <laughs> I'm going to go with um, American Dream. Or fuck, it's not. It's not American Dream. What is it called? The one with Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I know, and I'm going to watch you struggle with this. American Beauty. American there Beauty. There we go. American Hell Beauty. Yeah. Rectamundo. Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know I said this was uh, us about about us being problematic and uh, wrongheaded <laughs> in our opinions, uh, but I believe you were justified in that one. So. Yes. Actually, actually, history's come around to my side of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Question three. In a discussion of Schindler's List. Greg described this Steven Spielberg film as a, quote, different kind of Holocaust. What was it? <laughs> um, was it 1941? No. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Um, more contemporary. I'll give you another guess. It's more contemporary. Um, Charlie Wilson's War. <laughs> no. <laughs> Good guess. But no, it's Ready Player One. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> ah, classic. Classic. I know. All right. Question number four. John has ironically... Most must be noted, ironically uttered a racial slur in not one but two episodes about movies that center on the Vietnam War. What were those movies? I, excuse me. I look if if I, if this is true, strike them from the record, please. Um, <laughs> we will delete the entire history if you think I've, I've, I've ironically uh, done that. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna guess um, a Full Metal Jacket and. Uh, what other Vietnam movies have we done? I don't know, John. That's for you to answer. Okay, uh, JFK. No, it's Apocalypse okay. Now. Oh, okay. Dang it. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Did I really say that? <sighs> I hate myself. <laughs> well, again, I, ironically, yes. I, mean, I know, but that's know. no excuse. And, and you get no enthusiastic. Excuse. You're quoting the movie or whatever. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, right. don't worry. They're, nobody will listen to this, these episodes, so don't worry. <laughs> okay. All right, question number five. Over the course of 200-plus movies, we have looked at a grand total of four by black directors. Name all four movies. Boys in the Hood. Mm-hmm. Do the Right Thing. Yep. 
Um, uh, Malcolm X. Yep. Malcolm 10. Um, <laughs> oh. Um, well, we talked a lot about Moonlight, but that wasn't an official kind of like no, title, no. Um, so that wouldn't count. Oh, uh, 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. And Selma. Correct the Mundo, John. Yes. Booyah. <laughs> so I technically, that's only, that's only three. Oh, wait, because we did, yeah, yeah. Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> all right. Good. I, I didn't think it would get all four, but congratulations. All right. Yep. <laughs> Question number six. We've looked at a grand total of four movies directed by women. What are they? Uh, well, we just did one. Clueless. Yep. <sighs> Pass. Um, <laughs> Pass. He literally just <laughs> named one. Yeah, clueless. Um, no, no. Like oh, oh, list. right. Selma. Duh. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ava DuVernay. Um, oh, Babette's Feast. Right. Uh, that that wasn't no. That wasn't directed by. Damn Lee. it! All right. Fuck. Um, I, I, yeah, I only got two. I only got those okay. two. <laughs> Let me just double check that Babette's Feast is not directed by a lady. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hang on. Uh, pause, pause, pause. Uh, <laughs> uh, vamp, vamp. Yeah, <laughs> vamp, vamp. Uh, no, it was th- that was directed by uh, Gabrielle XL. Um, okay. Yeah. Who uh, is, uh, he pronouns, I believe. Anyway. Um, okay. But um, the other two were The Piano and Harlan County, USA. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The P- okay, so that's why. I was confusing The Piano with um, Babette's Feast. Okay. For some reason in my head, those two movies are the same because <laughs> they're both about sad yeah, women yes. on the seaside. Sad, two sad women, black dresses. Yeah, I can, I can understand it. Okay. Yes. Okay. John, number seven. We have looked at a grand total of ten movies, executive produced and distributed by Harvey Weinstein. Name four of them. We've got The Untouchables. Uh, mm-hmm. not, no, but uh, continue. Wait, oh, wait, shoot, you're right, that was, yeah. okay, they took his name off that one, crap. Yeah. Uh, he produced the remake, but yeah, he did not. Ooh, uh, yep, 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 yep. Why am I blanking on this? Shoot. I'll give you a hint, another one of the, your fi- absolute favorite films that you watched uh, for this podcast. <laughs> oh, um, Life is Beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I want to say Schindler's List, but that's because it's, they're both, Holocaust movies, but no, yeah, no. No, <laughs> Steven Spielberg not, does not, yeah, does not no. need to work with Harvey Weinstein <laughs> no, to get things is. done. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, the Green Mile, nope. Oh, um, uh, Jackie Brown, yep. Okay, yep. Uh, trying two more. Nin- I'm trying to think 90s, yeah. <sighs> um, I'll give you one more guess. Okay. Uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. I d- I d- well, yeah. John, I, th- I thought you would have gotten a big one. Clerks by Kevin Smith. That's right. Miramax. Damn it. Yes. I thought that was too, like, yeah. Yes. We have many Miramax movies. Um, in addition to um, this one, he he literally had a hand in it. Maybe he had something to do with the rights. Um, Paddington. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Paddington. I forgot about that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, John, we've looked at a, gr- a grand total of 10 musicals for this episode, for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a question associated with that. I just wanted to let you know. It was another sin that we have to atone for. <laughs> I like musicals, okay? I, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question number eight. Three times we have watched three movies for one episode. What are the three trilogies that we've covered for one episode each? We did the Before Trilogy. 
Mm-hmm. We did the Three Colors trilogy, and yes. we did the Star is Born remakes. Yes, the quad, the quadrilogy now. <laughs> All building off one of the, one another. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, Barbara Streisand, the brass balls on her <laughs> to say, like, oh, suddenly my version is better. <laughs> has she seen her version in a while? I don't think she has. <laughs> Probably not. She hasn't seen it in years. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question number nine. What is the longest movie that we've profiled for the show? Well, this one was close to it. Um, okay, shoot. See, it's hard to tell because no matter how long the movie is, I tend up doing it in two parts anyway. So yeah, okay. <laughs> um, well, I will tell you that this movie is an hour longer than. Um... <laughs> yeah, shoot. Is it The Irishman? No. Okay. It is Lawrence of Arabia two two uh, two twenty seven. That's right, <laughs> nearly four hours. For some reason, like again, like Roger Ebert said, like no movie feels like no movie that feels too long is too long. So it's yeah. like Lawrence mm-hmm. Arabia for some reason for me doesn't feel too long, even though it is a, a very a very long uh, well, trek across the desert. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, to me, it feels bifurcated, like like the Last Emperor, like a little mm-hmm. the quality is a little bifurcated. First half, great, thumbs up. Latter half, mm, maybe something yeah, to do with right. Peter O'Toole. I don't know, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gosh, she's in everything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now, John, uh, question 10. Again, final sin to atone for here. Okay. <laughs> all right. One of the movies that we examined happened to be one of the host's all-time favorite films. What is it? Oh, well, we did Metropolis, which is one of my favorite films. Exactly. John yes. Twist. It wasn't, that wasn't a sin. That was a praise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was saintly and miraculous. Yes. We got it. We yes. did it, folks. <laughs> yeah. And that is worth celebrating. Just sharing our favorite films. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I wish we could do it more often over the course of two episodes. <laughs> but that's what that's the part of the learning process. That's exploring, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yes. we're looking at these things like a Puyi stool, like, you know, <laughs> to determine if they're healthy or not. <laughs> We should really be examining our own stools, you know, <laughs> next time, <laughs> next time, you know, <laughs> or to, to quote the great philosophy tube, ideologies are like assholes. You don't really look at it until you think that there's something wrong. So <laughs> I, I always look for new ways to phrase that. Like opinions are like assholes. I don't want to see or hear them. <laughs> <laughs> Booyah. It's a, yeah, it's a joke that like keeps that, on yeah. giving. Exactly. <laughs> Can't get enough. There's so many ways to do it. It's, mm. it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what else? There are so many ways to do social media. There's so many yes. networks out there. <laughs> There's so many that you could be on and then not be on. So yeah. you, you make your own choices in life. Yeah. You can be on uh, Instagram. You can be on Twitter. You can be on Facebook. You can be on LinkedIn if you want. I don't know why you'd be there, but you could be. Um, yeah, we're on. Be. We're we- on the first three. And so yeah. if you if you like what you heard, and God willing, I don't know why, but still. Um, <laughs> You could follow us there for updates and, and you know, just you know, reach out to us through that if you if you so choose. Engage. This is about engagement. Absolutely. And um, you can engage with us on a more personal level by emailing us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. We do take recommendations there. And uh, we will answer your questions live on air. Even though we're not live on air, we're talking <laughs> no. into a computer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> live at the time. So Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, John, reaching 200 episodes, I mean, yeah, uh, some things are going to change a little bit. Um, but we are going to have one more surprise for you, a little bonus next week. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's take a look back and look at uh, some superlatives, I think, uh, over the course of 200 episodes. Reach some conclusions, if we will. Yes. Um, yeah. That's the next episode. And, and don't worry, I think we've got a few more uh, uh, fires in the in the, uh, in the the kiln. <laughs> in the, um, <laughs> 
How does that? How does that analogy go? You know what? I think he's nailed it. <laughs> so, <laughs> a few fires in the kiln. Yep. Fires in the quiver. Arrows in the arrows yep. in the hopper. That's it. Yeah. Arrows in the drawer. Yeah. Light bulbs in the shed. Greg. Greg's got them all. That's what makes Greg a brilliant writer. <laughs> yep. Indeed. Um, well, this, this is the, ma- this is the magic right. of yeah, exactly. This is the master of uh, this is the uh, the majesty of uh, the internet is you don't have to be a writer anymore. Now you can be a podcaster. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Off the top of the dome, baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, thank you everybody for listening, and please do. Until next time, whatever it is, <laughs> <laughs> keep aspiring. <laughs>